0: celebrate today this great feast of Pentecost which is the conclusion of the Easter cycle and it's really the, the crowning of our Lord's work here on earth. Uh, we recall just last Sunday how he had ascended into heaven uh, at the conclusion of his earthly mission here but he promised he would not leave us orphans, that the Father would send the Holy Spirit to be with us. And so he did and ten days after his ascension. Fifty days after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit descended on this day of Pentecost that, that, the word pente Greek word meaning fifty and it was a Jewish feast after the uh, people had, um, the, the people of Israel had been led out of captivity in Egypt. you recall how the angel passed over those houses which, uh, that the, the, the lintels of which had been daubed with the blood of the lamb, so that the people of Israel could pass through the Red Sea, which parted for them, and they could, be, could begin their journey in uh, towards the, the Promised Land. So there was that Passover, and those houses that had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts were spared death, the ones without the, the blood, The firstborn of those households were slain. And it's 50 days after that Passover that Moses ascended to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments, the words, the ten words, the Decalogue, inscribed in stone amid great phenomena of thunder and lightning. And fear as well. The people were warned, do not approach the mountain. Anyone who touches the mountain will die. It was a very serious thing. And 50, so that was 50 days after, the, after that Passover and passing out of Egypt. That's what the Jews celebrated on this day. It was on that very same day as people from not just the, the Jews the, from, as it were Judea, Jerusalem were present in Jerusalem, but Jews of the diaspora and also uh, non-Judeans who'd become Jews from other countries, so they spoke different languages. There they were, gathered in Jerusalem, as there was another powerful manifestation of God. When the Holy Spirit descended upon Mary and the apostles, about 120 of the faithful, we're told, that were gathered when the Holy Spirit descended in the form of tongues of fire and a powerful wind, which was not one, something that produced fear, but life and death, not death, but hope, and empowered those apostles to speak. The fire appeared as tongues as a sign that these people were to speak the gospel. These tongues appeared as fire because our Lord himself once said, I have come to set fire to the earth and how I desire that it be, in, that it be kindled, that this fire spread. And that fire took over the hearts of the, the, those faithful, those 120 that were gathered there. And they began to speak in all the languages of all those people who had come to Jerusalem for the feast, they all heard the gospel. Great power was given to, uh, to those first disciples. So it was really Jerusalem had become, as it were, you know, a, a city of Babel, right? all those different languages. And in fact, in the Vigil Mass of Pentecost, one of the readings is precisely about the dividing of the people uh, because, uh, because they thought they could build a city on their own without God. And so God divided them in their languages to frustrate their aim of building this city without God. But now all those people are united, even though they speak different languages, the gospel is now spoken in those different languages. And the the law of the Lord is now not written on tablets of stone, but in the hearts of the people so that they know that law, they love that law, they keep that law, and they communicated to others, as a liberating law, a law of freedom. That fire of the Holy Spirit enabled, gave them strength and courage to face persecution as well. All of the apostles died shedding their blood as martyrs, apart from St. John, who experienced his own kind of martyrdom, being exiled on the island of Patmos as we read in his beautiful work of the Book of the Apocalypse or, or, or Revelation. But many of the others would have died as martyrs, but they were strengthened to spread the gospel to those different countries. Maybe they were given the tongues, the language of the countries that they were, they were, to, be, they were to be sent. And in the, in the collect of today's Mass, we prayed that we might be filled with that grace with which, though, the Apostles and the early church was filled on that day of Pentecost. In, in the power of that Holy Spirit that was poured out upon them, St. Peter preached. And 3,000 were baptized on that day of Pentecost. 3,000 were won for the faith. This Peter, who, in the, who, who was a weak man and, you know, promised so much and disappointed so much was now strengthened and won 3,000 disciples for Christ on that day and more the next day and so it continued that's what the Holy Spirit can do for us if we really allow ourselves to be open to him he, he is active all we need is to allow him to be active in our hearts The Holy Spirit continues to be active in the church today. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to gather here today, that we are able to celebrate the Holy Mass, that there is a priest who has power to offer the sacrifice of the Holy Eucharist, so that you, me, all of us can be nourished with the body and blood of Christ. This would not be possible. If the Holy Spirit were not active in the Church today. And I want to speak a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the sacraments of the Church. (laughs) It is through the Holy Spirit that all these sacraments, as it were, work and have their effectiveness. They operate in a way which the Church calls, using a Latin phrase, ex opere operato. That means, from the mere fact of the work being done, No, if I, or indeed you, or anyone, pours water over uh, someone, either an infant or someone else, desirous of baptism, and you or I say these words, as we do so, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, as long as that person, we're not doing against that person's will, that person becomes a child of God. That person is marked forever with the seal of baptism that cannot be undone. That person's sins are forgiven. That person becomes a member of the church merely by doing what we have to do. Is it it something of of us that we have? No, it's, it's a power given to us by the Holy Spirit that enables that to happen. The next sacrament of initiation is the sacrament of Confirmation, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the imposition of hands and the anointing with sacred chrism. Three of our young people were so anointed last Wednesday in uh, St. Mark's in Eugene, at the hands of Archbishop Sample, along with um, uh, 24 others there, uh, and. They're here today, see Genesis there. In the back, Do you want to stand up, Genesis? I know you, do, you hate being embarrassed. I know you're very right? There's Genesis there, and we have Michelle, and uh, I've gone blank, Emily, of course. I always mix them up. Stand up just so, just so people can acknowledge you, all right? Emily and Michelle, and Genesis at the back. All right, so they were newly anointed. And they were very happy. I could smell the chrism from them afterwards, you know. All right, thank you. But less than the chrism, what's more important is that we detect the, the sweet odor of Christ from you. All right, through your, through your behavior, through the way you uh, com, uh, comport yourself, that so you bear witness. Okay, be seated. But you see, they have been empowered now. They're no longer children in the church. They've been empowered to bear witness to Christ. They've been sent on mission. They've heard anew the command of the Lord, go and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Eucharist happens only through the power of the Holy Spirit. The bread and wine that is offered upon the altar, uh, already a sacrifice, an oblation, as it's placed upon the altar. is sanctified. The Holy Spirit is invoked upon it, upon those offerings. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, as long as the priest says the words and has the intention of doing what the church does, it doesn't matter whether he's steeped in mortal sin, lives a scandalous life, or whether he's the most holiest priest that walked the face of the earth that bread and wine becomes Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity for us so that Christ can feed us, nourish us, and remain present with us in the tabernacle. You know, the Catechism of the Catholic Church speaks about this when it says, together with the anamnesis, which is the, the, the memorial, the epiclesis, which is the invocation of the Holy Spirit is at the heart of each sacramental celebration, most especially the Eucharist, and it quotes St. John Damascene. You ask how the bread becomes the body of Christ and the wine the blood of Christ. I shall tell you, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and accomplishes what surpasses every word and thought. Let it be enough for you to understand that it is by the Holy Spirit, just as it was of the Holy Virgin and by the Holy Spirit that the Lord through and in himself took flesh. As the Lord took flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, so he takes upon himself the appearances of bread and wine, yet it's him. The substance is no longer of bread and wine, it's Christ himself. The Catechism goes on, the Holy Spirit's transforming power in the liturgy hastens the coming of the kingdom and the consummation of the mystery of salvation. While we wait in hope, he causes us really to anticipate the fullness of communion with the Holy Trinity, the mystery that we will celebrate next week, and into whose communion we are, we are drawn into that of the Holy, communion of the Holy Trinity. Sent by the Father who hears the epiclesis of the church, in other words, the invocation of the Holy Spirit, the calling down of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives life to those who accept him, and is even now the guarantee of their inheritance. To those who accept the Holy Spirit, a given life, we're guaranteed the inheritance of the kingdom of God. St. Paul, Paul listed the qualities of those who do not inherit the kingdom of God, and the qualities of those who do inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, those who live in the Spirit. After the sacraments of initiation, we have the sacraments of healing the sacraments of reconciliation or confession, which our Lord spoke about in the gospel today. This gospel was read on the Sunday after Easter, and we conclude our Easter cycle by reading it again. On the very day that our Lord rose from the dead, he could not wait 50 days for the church to be given this gift of the forgiveness of sins. He wanted the church to have it immediately. He breathed upon them said, receive the Holy Spirit. For those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. For those whose sins you retain, they are retained. Notice the two possibilities. Forgiveness or or not. Absolution can be withheld. The priest in confession has that responsibility to act as judge, but also to act as, as physician, a spiritual physician. But the sacrament is there for us. And uh, in the words of absolution, the priest reminds us, when we receive the the absolution, that God has sent the Holy Spirit among us. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. That's the principal mission that the Holy Spirit has, for the forgiveness of sins. And then, may God give you pardon and peace. The two go together. Dear brothers and sisters, this is an essential sacrament, as you probably got tired of me preaching from this pulpit. <laughs> this is an essential sacrament. If you do not use it, you cannot be a saint. If you refuse to use it, you are guilty of the sin of presumption. Do you think God can forgive you your sins when he is On the very day of his resurrection, he said, he gave power to the apostles and their successors to forgive or not forgive. You have to use this sacrament. And you may not come here, go to other churches if you don't want to come to this ogre who himself goes to confession. Try, Try to go every week. Because I can make excuses for myself I can justify myself. I can say, well, it's not a big sin. Or, well, I had my reasons. He deserved it, (laughs) whatever. She deserved the the rough end of my tongue, or whatever it is, you know? Uh -uh. I need to go humbly to another priest and let him be the judge. And if I come confessing the same thing week after week, then after a while he might say, Father John, are you doing anything about this? We need to do that. Our Lord did nothing that was not essential. We don't have six essential sacraments and one that, well, we can use it if we want. We have seven Essential sacraments for the church. We do not receive all of them. Some, some can't receive. But they're all essential. And then there is a sacrament of healing that, as it were, completes the sacrament of confession, which is the anointing of the sick, because forgiveness of sin is all, is also in, involved in that as well. And it can it can gives the strength of the Holy Spirit to with to. Uh, withstand suffering, to pr- pr- to defend us from despair, to strengthen us, and also if it's pleasing to God for His glory and for our good, even physical uh, physical restoration as well. And then the sacraments ordered towards the good of the community, holy orders, by which men are made deacons, bishops, and priests, and they are sealed with a new character in that in that sacrament, which cannot be effaced or repeated, just like confirmation and baptism give us a seal as well. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that the man is configured in a new way for service in the case of a deacon, for the, uh, for the configured towards Christ the head in the case of a priest or a bishop, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for service. And then the other sacrament of the service of the community, the great sacrament, the great mystery of Christ's union with the church, which is marriage. Two baptized people are able to, because of their baptism and the Holy Spirit given to them represent Christ, the man, and the woman in marriage represents the church. And the two of them, that mystery of Christ's love for the church. It's only the Holy Spirit that makes it possible, and probably it's only the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for people to stay together all those years. We had yesterday, last night, a couple, uh, Jim and Lucy Eckstein, celebrated 70 years of marriage. So we blessed them uh, during the Mass. Isn't that amazing? 70 years. And then after Mass, someone came out, say, the couple came out and they said, we we're, were only 10 years behind them. <laughs> 60 years. So I thought, I should have given you a blessing. All right, so this works by the Holy Spirit. It happens. Forgive the extended teaching today. But the sacraments can be received effectively. The question is, are they received fruitfully? There are two sacraments which theology calls the the sacraments of the the dead. In other words, those who do not have sanctifying grace through mortal sin or, or original sin. Baptism and penance or confession, or reconciliation. Those are the only two sacraments that you can receive not in a state of grace because they are precisely ordered to restoring the state of grace. The other sacraments, we must be in a state of grace to receive them because we will receive them if you receive the body and blood of Christ unworthily, you receive the body and blood of Christ, but unto damnation. If you receive confirmation in a state of mortal sin, you receive, you're confirmed, you receive that seal, but you do not receive it fruitfully. Those gifts that the Lord offers you, there's an obstacle. And you commit a sacrilege as well, further sin. Likewise in marriage, if you marry in a state of sin, it's not fruitful, etc. Ordination, whatever, all those sacraments. So you need to prepare by going to confession, if conscious of serious sin. And if you want to receive them really fruitfully, even if you're not conscious of serious mortal sin, go to confession to clean up the venial sins. Because sanctification, sanctifying grace, although present, is increased in you if you go to confession, even in a state of venial sin. If you receive a sacrament unfruitfully, by going to confession later on, once it dawns in you, oh, I received that sacrament unworthily, you go to confession, then the, the graces of, the, of that sacrament revive. For example, with confirmation, if you receive it in a state of sin, then later on you go to confession and you confess that you did so and you confess the sins that you should have confessed, it revives. You don't get confirmed again. Right? Because you can't be confirmed again or baptized again or ordained again. They're the three that can't be repeated. I hope this teaching on, the, on the, the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying grace, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit poured into us, it's the life of God. That's what the Holy Spirit precisely, precisely does. He sanctifies us, makes us holy. I hope that's helpful to you. It's been helpful to me to reconsider these points and even read up a little bit about them again. So I I also myself do an examination of conscience as to how I approach the altar or how I prepare myself to administer the sacraments to you. It's very important that we beg the Holy Spirit that everything might be fruitful, for without him uh, we, we can't do anything. Let's pray the Holy Spirit will really inflame us, take over us, consume us, and that we may spread with joy this beautiful gospel that our Lord has given us for the forgiveness of sins so that all the world might be freed from slavery to sin. And as St. Paul reminds us, inherit the kingdom, which they cannot do without the help of God without the the blood of Christ being poured over them, without the anointing of the Holy Spirit.